I'm crying during the opening prayer, and it's not even a start yet, so uh, wow. Um, I really felt God's Spirit here anyway, all during worship, and it's just an amazing thing. So thanks for bringing the body of Christ. Thanks for coming and worshiping together. Steve Jobs. Stephen Jobs has been called the Da Vinci or uh, the Gutenberg of our generation because this man uh, truly has in many ways changed the world as we know it. Uh, he is the, uh, the founder and CEO of Apple, and I'm sure most of you who have been around for a little while here in the U.S. have probably heard Stephen Jobs' name or somehow familiar with Apple products, but his things like the invention of the iPod, the iPod changed the way we listen to music. Uh, uh, how many of you had a, a record collection and had all those records somewhere getting scratched or, or somehow you're trying to keep together? Amazingly, the entire record collection you could ever have can now be on a little thing called iPod and take it anywhere you want to go. It's, it's, it's marvelous. I love it. He changed the way we communicate on the phone with an uh, iPhone. Uh, now we actually can see each other as we talk. Uh, uh, that's a blessing for some more than others, but anyway. Um, but certainly not just have communication on the phone, but those apps that are on there, it's pretty amazing. Uh, recently, an iPad has come out, and again, another revolution uh, about technology and uh, how we can navigate the uh, the web and how we can get our emails and, and do life. I mean, what an amazing man. Truly, Stephen Jobs, in so many ways, does... It be, by his genius, has changed the world. I got to tell you, I'm an Apple guy. I love them because they work. I mean, I really do. I've been an Apple guy for a long time. And I'm not one of those guys that has a sticker on my car. And I, I don't follow Steve Jobs around like some cult dude, you know. And some, some people who are Apple folks go a little bit extreme. Uh, that's not me. But I really love their products. I think, again, they're, they're amazing. They, they work. Well, Stephen Jobs it came out reported today that he's, uh, he's taking a leave of absence because of health issues. It's interesting because when this happens to Apple, their stock immediately starts to decline. And, you know, so they, they keep it a big secret. I mean, Jobs' health is, is like, uh, you know, something that's uh, uh, cloaked in secrecy of what's really going on. It wasn't until after the fact that we found out around 2003 or four that he had pancreatic cancer. And that's a bad type of cancer. And, you know, he tried to beat it with a special diet. It didn't work. He had, a, he had to kind of go somewhere out of secrecy to a special location to, to try to find uh, the right doctor and the right healing. And they said just in June of 2009, he had a liver transplant. I mean, again, just another huge uh, surgical procedure. And, and yet he seems to rebound and he comes back. And, and now it looks like that, that journey to wholeness that Steve Jobs is on, at least physical wholeness, is, is taking another detour. And he's to the point where, you know, he just can't do what he's got to do. And he's going to have to step down and, and look for health. You know, we have began a sermon series last week to kind of kick off our year, and it's a journey to wholeness. It's a, it's a journey together when we're going to look through God's Word is, is our map. This is always our map. And, and look to Jesus as our healer and say, God, we long for wholeness. Uh, not just physical wholeness. We long for emotional wholeness. We long for spiritual wholeness. We long for financial wholeness. We just, we long to be shalomed, if you will, or, or, or together. You know what the Hebrews would say, shalom. Truly have peace within. 
And we long for it. And what, how does God tell us how we're going to find that? Last week, we looked at what I'm going to call is like the posture to our journey. The posture to wholeness begins this way. It will never begin without the veil being removed. The veil that exists between a sinful man and a holy God. And last week we looked at what Jesus Christ has done for sinners like us. That He has torn into that veil that separated sinners like us from a holy God. And now with unveiled faces, we could live our lives with a posture gazing at what God has provided for a Savior. It's His only begotten Son. The Lord, the one who's fully God and, and fully man, the, the, the one who came and bore our sins, the one whom we wear his righteousness. And now with an unveiled face, we boldly, unashamedly can come into his presence. And, and, and even though we're still broken and we're still undone, we can, we can set our face at Jesus with unveiled faces. And now the posture of, of wholeness is this amazing unveiled face. And it's more than just our face with Jesus. It's our face with one another. If you were here last week, we looked at the fact that this gospel of Jesus Christ that's removed our sins and has given us new life, it, it should give us, it's called the power of God. It's the, it's the dynamite of God, that our salvation. And now it should give us the power and the ability to remove our mask. That we don't have to pretend any longer. That we don't have to fake it. That we could just tell the truth. Because you know what? The truth of Jesus has what? It set us free. And the way I see the glory of God, the most beautiful, is through your face, is in His image. And you don't have to pretend to be Jesus because you're not. You don't have to pretend to be holy because you're not apart from Him. And you don't have to pretend and hide. You are showing me Jesus when you tell me the truth that you are like me. We're broken and we need Him. The reason it reflects off us so much is He's just done something beautiful out of a pile of dust. And now we can remove our faces. we got this posture to live before God and one another. And remember, if we live behind the mask, only the mask is loved. Remember, if we live behind the mask, only the mask is known. So if last week we looked at the posture, this week we're going to look at the pattern. The pattern to wholeness. And we're going to see what this godly pattern is. It's, it's a crazy, typical God. If you know anything about the God of the Bible, if you've read through it, you're going to see it's very paradoxical. I mean, what seems to be up is down. What, what seems to be broken is healed. What, what seems to be right oftentimes is wrong. And it's amazing, paradoxical God. And once again, we're going to journey with Jesus. And we're going to say, Jesus, show us a pattern of brokenness. And it's my belief that we might be surprised. Because it begins with blessedness. But it goes to brokenness. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Next week we're going to talk about the practice of, of, of uh, wholeness. We're going to look to the early church in the book of Acts. And, and then we're going to talk about, in the following week, we're going to talk about uh, the purpose of wholeness and why God has, has made us whole in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, I can't even hardly stand uh, the thought of what's going to happen around here in February. Have you heard the news? I mean, not only are we going through this journey, but right, this journey is going to just dovetail right into our missions conference. And one of our long-term mission partners, Saul Cruz, who's, who's really just 
of doing amazing things with wholeness to the poorest of the poor of Mexico. He's going he's to come here and be in our pulpit on February 13th. It's going to be awesome. We don't want to miss it. And the, the following week, we have a guy who's going to be preaching, uh, who is, is preaching in Japan. He's amazing. And then a, there's a fellow by the name of Tim Keller. Uh, he's written some books. Some of them become New York Times bestseller. He's probably the most famous PCA pastor. He'll be here on Tuesday the 22nd. Then that Friday, we got a fellow, a sociologist, a, 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 a kind of a whacked out, crazy, loving uh, a professor named Tony Campolo. He spits a tremendous amount, but man, in between the spittle, he's got great stuff to say. He really does. And he's really coming for our school. And it's a special thing to talk to our students because they need to hear him. But because it's such a gift, we're going to say to the church family, hey, this isn't like for the community, but this is for the Orangewood family. Really, primarily for our school students. It's going to be amazing. That's That's February. Man, is God blessing this place or what? Uh, talk about a journey to wholeness. But hey, let's get into this week. This week we're going to talk about the pattern to wholeness. Um, when you, by the way, when you have uh, holes in your pants and you have mints in your in your pockets, it just—I mean, I, I'm like a, I leave stuff all over here. So if you're wondering, they're not drugs. Um, they're they're just breath mints. And if you saw me before the service, you'd beg me to take them. But. Uh, um, Matthew, we're going to look to Matthew, uh, Matthew 16. It's a very famous portion of Scripture. As a matter of fact, many scholars see this as a turning point of the Gospel. Uh, this is where the proclamation of you are the Christ. And we're going to see the, this pattern of wholeness in the Bible. And you ready for this? Uh, you can follow along in the bulletin, by the way. You'll see an outline. The par- pattern of wholeness is from blessedness. And we're going to see this in Peter's life. From blessedness to brokenness. Uh, we're going to see in the next uh, few moments together as we look at God's Word that in God's economy, death precedes life. We're going to see that the biggest losers are the biggest winners. And we're going to see that your soul outweighs the entire world. Uh, I, I've chosen a little larger passage of Scripture than sometimes we read. Um, I've done this to give us a broader context. Um, Let's be mindful that everything that we read today out of God's Word is going to be uh, holy and it's never going to lead us astray. And we believe by God's grace and protection of the Holy Spirit, it's without error. Um, And so we're going to uh, pick up a story uh, where Jesus is asking his disciples, um, who do the people say I am? Um, He is in a uh, uh, a very pagan place, uh, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, they've walked from Capernaum on the shore of Galilee. They've walked up. They've, they've passed that, that cool mount where their Sermon on the Mount was. They've passed the place where Jesus fed the 5,000. They walked to this very, very pagan place. That's how they got around. Um, I, I didn't realize the distance between Capernaum and, and uh, Caesarea Philippi until I went there and drove it. And I just was amazed because I know this passage. I know what Jesus is going to ask his disciples. Who do people say I am? I know what's coming. But it really intrigued me was, man, they had a lot of time to talk. They had a lot of time to be wrestling things. And so although we're going to pick this up uh, kind of mid-conversation, I, I just want you to just picture a, a band of 12 walking with Jesus. Uh, their feet probably hurt. Uh, their mouth is probably dry. Uh, Jesus has taken them to a place that their parents told them not to go because there's really pagan worship going on. They're like sacrificing goats and they're dressing up as goats and there's some really amazing things. As a matter of fact, it's called the gates of hell is where Jesus took them. And now we pick up the story. And we're going to pick this up with the lenses on saying, okay, God, through this story, tell us the pattern of wholeness. 
Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some confusion here, obviously. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this great confession, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. If you go to Capernaum, it's a little teeny city. Uh, it's Peter's city. Uh, it was there that uh, Jesus uh, raised uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law who was sick and did a miracle. It was there that a paralytic was dug through the roof and, and let to Jesus and another miracle. If you go to Capernaum, you'll, you'll see a statue. It's kind of interesting how they interpreted this passage. Uh, they got a picture of uh, some disciples. They got a picture of uh, Peter, and he's holding keys. Um, some keys to, uh, to what we'll say today is wholeness and life and understanding. And then we continue in God's Word, verse 21. From this time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Him aside and He began to rebuke Him. Uh, same word that Jesus used uh, to rebuke wind. We'll get more on that in a moment. Uh, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. If you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. And then he told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and, and follow me. Forever who would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will, will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Interestingly, the next passage is a transfiguration uh, on a mountain right next door, and you see that Jesus was alluding to that. But let's ask God to come and, and reveal Himself to us uh, through the preaching of this Word. Oh, Father God, we ask that You would come and You would give us uh, ears to hear Your voice, that, that You would give us eyes to see Jesus and Jesus alone, that, that You would shed your, your merciful light into our, our dark minds, because even this passage reminds us that, that Peter could be so blessed to know who You are, and yet so confused to know what You're supposed to do. And so even for those who, who You call blessed, even for those that that kind of get this, this messianic secret that Jesus is God's Son, sometimes don't get 
your plan. So would you come and be merciful to us as we have sung? Would you, would you remove our, our hearts of stone that are just so crusty with sin and, and there's just those parts of our hearts that still don't believe and would you give us a new heart of faith? And God, can you, because you love us and we're your children and, and here we are, the church, uh, you want us to tell your story. So would you empower our feet so that we can walk from here in newness of life and, and understand that from blessedness comes brokenness and this is a part of wholeness. So we're going to walk out of here, we're probably going to limp. But we thank you for the privilege of walking with you. Father, we pray that the things that are said, that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus, that you'd use those things to make us more like Jesus and give us his wholeness. The things that are said, that are wrong, that would detract from wholeness, that are just my opinion, that are a foolish res- uh, uh, um, remedy for my own mind, may that be fallen away and be forgotten. Come and receive glory. Come and give us life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, there's a recap. We read a lot. I mean, this is an amazing uh, portion of Scripture. And you have Jesus, and, and he's in this area, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, okay, uh, what are people saying about me? Let's just take a little poll here. Who do people say I am? And then he turns to his disciples, and he asks the same question. Who do people say I am? And then, then there's Peter. I mean, I mean, Peter just like knocks us out of the park. I mean, this is amazing response. And, and Peter is the first to speak. He usually is. And sometimes he's the last to think, but but, but this time he's got it right, you know? And he, and he looks at Jesus and, and he says this most unbelievable, profound thing that you could ever say to another human being because he's not just fully human, he's fully God. He says, he says Jesus, you, you, you are the Christ. And, and that's a title, it's not his last name. He's, he's saying, you, you're the one that was promised, uh, that Messiah that we've been longing for, that, that anointed one that was to come. I mean, that's you, Jesus. And then he goes on with even a great greater confession. He says, not only that, but you are, you're, you're the son of God. I mean, unbelievably, uh, that, that you are God in flesh and here you are among us. And man, Jesus can hardly contain himself. And we see that, that Jesus immediately hears this confession of Peter. And what does he do? He blesses him. And he starts off here with blessing. He says, blessed are you. I mean, kind of interesting language. He says, blessed are you, Simon, Simon Bar-Jonah. Uh, and listen, we also got to see that really um, blessedness begins, wholeness begins. I mean, this is the door. This is the portal. This is where the whole thing starts. I mean, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Or I am And you know, we can't find wholeness, we can't find blessedness, we can't find life apart from Jesus, according to God's Word. So so blessedness begins right here, there's no wholeness without Jesus. And you know, I mean, Jesus' response, and we don't know, i got to read between this, and this is a little bit of Jeff stuff here, but it seems so, so passionate. I mean, he kind of gives, he kind of gives uh, Peter uh, a nickname, you know? He says in Aramaic, he says, Simon Bar-Jonah, which is basically saying, uh, Simon, uh, son of Jonah, you know? And, and I don't know why, but I just kind of picture him wrestling Peter and giving him a noogie and saying it. I do. I mean, I just think, like, you got it, man, you got it. 
I mean, Simon, son of Jonah, you got it. It's amazing. And, and I love the fact that he says to him, Simon uh, uh, Bar-Jonah, he's referring to his earthly father. He's kind of saying, I know your dad. And you're not that smart. <laughs> and he goes on to say, your dad didn't reveal this to you. My dad did. My dad did. Father in heaven has revealed this to you, Simon. You didn't get this. This doesn't come from your pedigree. It's out of your pay grade. You see, blessedness begins with Jesus and it begins with a veil being ripped and torn in two that separates us from Him. And it's a gift. It's gift. It's gift. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's not pedigree. It's not our knowledge, our gray matter. It's, it's just God, you know? It's just God doing His thing and redeeming sinners. And, and I love the fact, I just see Him embracing Peter and, and so lovingly saying, you got it, but let me just whisper in your ear, it's a gift. It just came from Father. Not yours, mine. When blessedness is ours, God begins to reveal His plan to us. And so it's at this point, I mean, He's not telling them what He's doing until they kind of figure out who He is, okay? And it's always that way. God is really going to reveal His plans to those whom He loves and those whom He's removed the veil and those whom He calls blessed. And so now He starts telling the story. He starts saying, now here, here's the deal. We're heading toward Jerusalem. You know, my whole time, you could probably notice my face is set toward Jerusalem because there's something that I got to do. It's been set in, before time began, and that's rescue you. When we go into Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen. They're going to arrest me, and they're going to have this ridiculously mock trial. And the, and the scribes and the Pharisees are going to say all these wrong things. They're going to lie about me. And you know what? I'm going to be turned over to the authorities. And here's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to kill me. And, but don't, don't listen. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Three days. Coming back. And then you get Peter. 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 And he takes Jesus and he, he pulls him aside. Because I think that he loves him. You know, he loves him. And, and he doesn't want to like show him up before his friends. And he's going to, you know, you know how you want to tell somebody something and you don't want to like do it publicly. So you're going to have enough to kind of pull him aside, you know, and. I got to take care of this. So you got Peter and he's going to kind of pull Jesus away from the rest of them. And then he begins to rebuke, (laughs) rebuke the one he just called God. (laughs) He's going to rebuke the one he just said was anointed. He's going to rebuke him. And and listen, this is, this is, this is using, if you, if you look at this verse, it's, it says this, it's, it's correcting someone with a tone of pending hostility. This is that tone you use to your kids. You better stop that. And when you know that when you said, you better stop that, what they said is, what they heard was, I'm going to get a whooping. I heard that tone. I understand that tone. I'm going to get a whooping. Peter. He's taking the eternal one. He's taking the word made flesh. He's taking God to the woodshed. And he's saying, nice plan. It stinks. That's not your plan. I got a better plan for you, Jesus. I got a plan for you. Follow me. 
Jesus uh, will tell him that there's a pattern, Peter, for which you are to follow that you are not following. And the pattern to wholeness that we call discipleship is this. Death precedes life. He says this, that Jesus then turns and he says to him, you know, he rebukes him. He says, Satan, get behind me. You're not just thinking the way I'm thinking. You're thinking your own thoughts here. And these aren't my thoughts. And if you really want to follow after me, if you want to live your life in my pattern, and look at verse 24, he says this, you must deny yourself. And the Gospel of Luke wants to make sure that we understand this, that this is not a one-time deal. He says that daily we must deny ourselves. Haven't you seen this bumper sticker? If you can't see it, God is my co-pilot. You know, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a lousy driving companion. I really am. Because I am a, a, a wheel hog. You know, my family just went to uh, a nine-hour drive. Uh, I had, I think, six drivers in the car. I drove every mile. I'm not giving up the wheel. I am a lousy driving companion because you will have to pry the steering wheel from my cold, dead hands. I got issues. I know I do. I want to be in the driver's seat. Okay? may not be going the right speed and I may not be going the right direction, but I am driving. And I am a lousy driving companion. If you want to drive with me, know you are shotgun. Okay? Maybe in the back. Jesus is a lousy driving companion. He's lousy at it. He is not going to let you have the steering wheel. He is not going to let you navigate the map. He's going to say things like this. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge me and I'm going to make your path straight. I mean, Jesus is my co-pilot is really stupid. I'm telling you, it is. If you got this on your car during the last song, you get out of here, you go scrape that thing off. I don't want you to be embarrassed. Here's what Jesus is saying. Wholeness is going to be on my terms. Wholeness is going to be on my conditions. Wholeness will be by my Definition. We can't get God to submit to us. Even when we take Him behind the woodshed and we rebuke Him, God doesn't kneel. Jesus' plan won't be thwarted. Where have you taken God behind the woodshed? Where in your life have you just had God reveal a plan to you that was completely not your dream, completely not your plan? I mean, why was Peter rebuking him? Why why, why was he rebuking him? Because Peter had a whole nother plan for Jesus. And we know it didn't include a cross, for goodness sakes. It didn't include a death. It didn't include a mockery of a trial. Jesus, I got a plan for you, Peter says. I got a plan. You're the man. Come on, get in. Be my co-pilot. Look at where we can go. I 
I remember taking Jesus to the woodshed when Katie got cancer. I remember just taking him saying, you know, you, you can't do this. Uh, you, what are you doing? Okay, go ahead and mess with me. Don't mess with her. This, this can't be right. This can't be your plan. This, this, this can't be your will. And you, we just rebuke him. I mean, how many of us have, have watched our kids? We said, this can't be your will. We've, we've, we've seen our kids go the wrong way, and we take Jesus to the woodshed. We've seen our careers go the wrong way, and we take Jesus to the woodshed. We see our marriages not being what we think they should be, and we take Jesus to the woodshed. We got this dream, we got this plan, and he shatters it to pieces, and we take him to the woodshed. God refuses to define wholeness by our standards. And wholeness through brokenness is his way. Peter had to be broken. <laughs> and call him Satan. See what Jesus does, and I want you to get this pattern. You've got to understand what Jesus does, and he does it consistently throughout all of Scripture. Whatever is given to Jesus, here's what he does. Think communion. He takes it and he blesses it. What was just given to Jesus? Peter, Peter's amazing confession. You are the Christ. He takes it. He blesses it. Blessed are you, Peter. And then what does he do? He breaks it. He breaks it. He shatters it. He just tears it apart. And he says, I'm going to distribute it to others and make it a blessing for others. And just think of the Lord's Supper. He took the bread. He broke it. He blessed it. He broke it. He distributed it. Think of his own life. I mean, think of the baptism of Jesus. And the Father says, you're so blessed, my beloved son. I'm going to break you. Because the world is broken. And they're not whole. I'm going to break you. And I'm, I'm going to break into bits. So that you could be partaken by broken sinners. So they could become whole. See, we must deny ourselves and follow his way for wholeness. This is this denying yourself. I mean, you understand this denying yourself is, is the death of our dreams. It's the death of the things that we think will make us whole. It's the death of what we think life should be. And it stinks because here's what we want of God. We want God to come right next to us, be our co-pilot, and just bless the road ahead of us, all right? Just take those things out that are bad. Keep me steering along those things that make me happy. May I always have a good radio station. May I always have the car in perfect temperature. And may this thing not break down. Just stay over there and don't get in my way a whole lot. He's just not going to do it. I mean, it's continually every day we come with dreams of what our kids are going to do, you know, and are they going to make this team and are they going to be about this? Are they going to get into this college? Dreams about what we're going to do. And every day they're shattered in many ways. And we got to say, I got to deny myself because really living for Christ is not my dreams being blessed on him. Really what this is, is me coming to Jesus and say, what is your dream for my life? What is, what do you want to do? It's the death of our dreams, and we have an option. Listen, we have an option, and if you live this life, you know here's the option. You could look at your shattered dreams, and you could try to pick them up, and you could try to make sense out of them. And there's like a jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to make back together again, and there's all kinds of broken pieces, and you're trying to make meaning and success. Or you can say, God, obviously those broken pieces are somehow a part of your plan, and I don't know how to do it. I don't have the wisdom to put them back together again, but you do. And I'm showing up today, and I'm saying I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to follow you. The biggest losers are the biggest winners. To take up your cross, that NBC hit TV show, The Biggest Losers. 
Um, it's an amazing name. It's, it's, uh, it's a show where people uh, who need to lose weight show up, and the, the one who le- loses the most fat, the one who loses the most that's unhealthy for them, the things that are really going to kill them, those are the ones who are the real winners. And in God's crazy economy, He's saying to us that the biggest losers really are the biggest winners. And it's the losers who say this, that I'm going to submit to your will. I mean, think of Jesus. Think of Him in the garden, just wrestling, having to deny Himself. Take this cup from me. i got to go die for these people. God, can you please take this from me? And it's Jesus who says, but I will, I will do it. I will be the biggest loser. And lose my life and become their sin so that we can become the biggest winners. And this is God's economy, the way He does things. He says that the biggest losers of what you think is right, of what your dreams are, of what you define as life, is what you define as wholeness. Lose it. Come find me and win it all. Submitting to the Father's will. Listen, we can't have wholeness without a cross. There's no wholeness without it. There's no wholeness for the redemption, for creation, for the whole story. You can't do it without a cross. We just had a Discovering Orangewood class, and I was telling about the gospel, and I said, I can't tell you how many times I've read someone's testimony, and there's no cross there. I'm like, we can't have really a testimony without it. I mean, right? There has to be a sacrifice for sin, and there has to be some place where God's justice and His mercy meet. It's at the cross. And there's got to be a place in our lives with a cross as well. And it's a daily pick up your cross. This is not just like the difficult things like I got a lot of laundry today. This is like, God, life is different than I thought. It's harder than I thought. Thy will be done. My kid might not come back. Thy thy will be done. My marriage, please rescue it, please. Please set me free from this addiction. Please. But God, let me deny myself, my shattered dreams. And let me say, Thy will be done. You see, your soul outweighs the whole world. The biggest losers are the biggest winners, and the weight of your soul, it outweighs the whole world. He says, What, what good is it if you get the whole world? I mean, Steve Jobs has gained most of the world. But his soul outweighs it, and I sure hope he knows it. His soul is eternal. It's not going to die. I sure hope he knows it. I hope you do too. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 say this, Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, for this world and the world to come. And certainly in the language of this passage, there's a world to come that we could see. i got to close. As I close, I have three questions. Three questions for you for the week, for today. You ready? First one is this. Where in your life are you rebuking Jesus? Where in your life are you rebuking Jesus? And if you need help to go there, let me tell you, look for your shattered dreams. And the the challenge to you is when you're there, there's where you should begin to deny yourself and walk by faith and follow him. Second question, whose wholeness plan are you following? I mean, remember, there should be no bumper stickers on our family's uh, bumpers that say God's our co-pilot, all right? None. He's not our co-pilot. It's either His plan or our plan. 
We either pick up our cross and follow him. We either say, thy will be done, or we pull him aside, we rebuke him and say, no, 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 this is God's going to happen. Whose holiness plan are you following? And lastly, how are you training yourself to be godly? You don't become physically fit by joining a gym. you got to work out. You don't become spiritually fit by joining a church. you got to work out. Daily, your salvation. Daily, denying, following, loving, and living. The way he intended, without a veil, with the truth setting us free, limping home, but knowing we're radically loved, knowing whose we are, knowing we've been set free, and he's going to finish the work. How are you disciplining yourself for godliness? Let us pray. Father, it's amazing that you can reveal to us who Jesus is, that he really is not a lunatic, he's not a liar, that he's the Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And it's, a, it's amazing how much we could be lunatics and then take him to the woodshed and begin to rebuke him over the dreams that we had that he shattered or that he didn't bless. Father, we live in a day and a time where we want you to be our co-pilot and we want you to sit there and shut up most of the time. But the reality is, because you love us, you'll never give us the wheel. Thank you. You'll never let us lead the way to wholeness. Thank you. Because we'll drive it right over a cliff. Father, this is hard because this is talking about discipleship. We have to deny. Deny ourselves, our dreams that we're to pick up a cross and say, Thy will be done. And in present tense, that continually happens every day, follow you. God, give us the grace to do it with unveiled faces. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.